The views and opinions expressed on the Poor Ass Podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of BME Recovery Content Productions. Any content provided by our guests are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I have a new website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes. That's www.poraspodcast.com. So if you hear vcomedy.com, that is the old website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes and enjoy the show thanks for listening thanks for supporting bye and we're recording welcome everyone welcome to another episode of poor ass podcast the podcast route where we talk about tough shit on a budget and can we live abundantly on a budget i have with me special guest uh, gina rivera i've known her for 10 years we met in recovery and today's topic is activism on a budget gina currently works at the shanti project in san francisco she is a bilingual care navigator and we're going to talk about what is the Shante project what type of support and resources do they do they offer and how are they handling the current pandemic in San Francisco so thank you Gina for being on the podcast and wanted to um talk about how you are doing in the pandemic, what your work entails, and how are you personally doing your own personal activism in in San Francisco or San Francisco um, Bay Area. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that the Shanti Project does? So the the Shanti Project um, started in San Francisco as um, a nonprofit in 1971, and they worked with uh, people who were um, terminally ill and who uh, were being cared for in uh, Laguna Honda, which is this huge hospital um, in San Francisco. So they provided um, emotional support, practical support, and helped uh, connect uh, people to resources and services as needed. So. Um, during the during the 70s, they worked with all types of people, and um, but then they expanded their services in the 80s um, when the AIDS epidemic hit San Francisco, especially um, within the gay community. Um, mm-hmm. They provided um, all those similar supports um, to people who were HIV positive and who had also had full blown AIDS. Um, 
later later on they expanded their services to women uh to women with breast cancer with the uh, margaret murphy women's cancer program they also provided uh, practical support um emotional support um uh, a medical appointment accompaniment and um helped uh women navigate the uh, the hospital medical systems um in order to get what they need um to that so that they could recover from cancer and so they expanded this to women with all types of cancer in 2010 i believe mm. um, my program is relatively new it's called the pact program um which stands for peer advocate support team um and i'm also a care navigator and i help uh residents who live in patrol help public housing navigate various systems because people living in public housing must navigate not only um federal housing policy um but all other types of systems that come into play in their lives um so the community is very diverse um it is black latino samoan um asian and it's about um 800 households on the hill um in patrol hill and i've been working with the shanti project um as 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 a care navigator for the women's cancer program and at pact um for um both for about 4 years um i don't i i moved on from one position to the other um but it's the same position i do work with mostly latinos um people who are um undocumented um immigrants um mm-hmm. also people who are latinx that live who have lived decades on the on the hill um and also just pro- uh, part of my job also was to provide translation support to uh women who don't speak any english and also to uh the communities living in Pearl Hill that do not speak english as well so a lot i do a lot of translation of documents and appointment accompaniment and um right now our outreach is um not going on because of the pandemic Mm-hmm. So the work that I do has been um greatly impacted. We are more of a one-on-one personal kind of um our work is very personal and it's one-on-one so it has been very challenging um these last few months. Uh, I do a lot of work by phone and at home. And it's a lot of empowering um these communities to be proactive and to apply to um mental assistance um to to get um food access um food access and supply access um is huge on the hill um food runs out like in the nearby communities pretty quickly as you can imagine everybody's mm-hmm. just buying and buying and buying in the mm-hmm. beginning was especially hard oh so yeah we, yeah we do a lot of food delivery right now um and basically I'm I'm working on right now we have like you know not only do we have uh trainings for contact tracing for example and that's just within our community how to like ask questions about um how they're taking care of themselves if they have tested positive for covid-19 um we've also helped um a clinic nearby the community um just for with registration for getting covid testing so we're like really involved right now um it is a very busy time um since uh covid-19 hit it was busy before but now it's even busier Mm-hmm. So it and my you know it it's 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 interesting because when I work with um Latino women in particular um part of my work is to empower them and to um sort of provide them resources as they 
as they become, um, you know, as they figure out how to pay their rent because they're not working. So a lot of the COVID-19 pandemic have impacted um, their, their economic empowerment. They can, mm -hmm. a lot of them work as house cleaners and nannies and food service. And a lot of these jobs have been a, a, a greatly negatively impacted. A lot of places, a lot of businesses have closed. Yeah. Um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of uh, restaurants have closed. So they're out of work and like looking for work and the rent hasn't been canceled at all. There is an eviction moratorium. So that saves them for, for, a, for a bit and it has been extended each month by the mayor breed. Um, but it's still looming over them. They still have this accruing debt because they cannot pay their rent in full. Um, and the housing authority has been kind of slow to change the rent and they're just slow in general. They were slow before, but now they're even slower now. Now their office is closed. Now they can not provide a lot of the help um, and support that they were doing before. And so we had to take up the slack as a, as a program um, and make sure that every, all the residents have what they need to shelter in place. Um, mm -hmm. It has been pretty, it has been pretty challenging. Um, what are your biggest challenges that you're facing so far during this time? Um, I guess the challenges are that we do need like more volunteers for, for, for food delivery. Um, a lot of the challenges are sort of just being present to hear people while they stress about like rent, about like not working, having to be at home with their kids all day. Domestic violence has increased. Um, because, you know, women are now at home with their, you know, abusers. They have nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of that going on in, in the city proper um, where report, there's been increased reports of domestic violence. Um, there's, you know, there's homeless, you know, potential homelessness. Um, people are scared of getting evicted even at this time, even with an eviction moratorium. Mm -hmm. um, so it has been extremely challenging. And also, you know, having children be inside all day and the parents having to, like, you know, be the teachers now or trying, you know, getting them to, like, you know, getting them motivated to, like, go back to school, even if it's like they have to be at home. It's sort of like distance learning that they're trying to roll out at, at, in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So that presents us challenges. You know, parents were not expecting to also be teachers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's an added, like, you know, that's an added stressor. Um, everybody's sort of stuck inside and, you know, like we had a new building open up and the new building, the set, you know, it's not very well soundproofed. So there's been a lot of complaints around that. But overall, people are just feeling, you know, tired of sheltering in place, but they mm -hmm. have to. And there's been a few cases of COVID tests that have come back positive. And, you know, the training that we're taking would, would be around how to you know, how to help people figure out where they actually caught, caught COVID-19, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, that, that, that's good for them to know and they can um, make sure to be careful. Um, but, you know, I think it's challenging because we have a lot of younger people sort of hanging out and gathering um, in Dolores Park and other parts of the city. And people, you know, when they, when they see other people hanging out, acting like nothing's wrong, they get pretty upset. Um, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of, resentment against that also and mm -hmm. I understand it too I'm like yeah this is not a normal this is not a normal time it wasn't normal before that's why <laughs> activism is so important um but <laughs> you know, 
Like, I didn't think it was normal before. There were a lot of things wrong since Trump's become president. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, there was, like, there was still there. It was just more, I don't know, it was more hidden, and now it's out in the open. So, you know, that's why this topic is, you know, for me is really important um, about how to become activists. And my having this job and being, you know, trying to trying to be an activist, I don't know if I could call myself, like, the most activist person, um, it's pretty challenging for me, too, because I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of feelings about how, you know, the Housing Authority does its work, like how our program does its work. You know, Shanti as a whole, as a nonprofit, has very good intentions. They're really about active listening. Mm-hmm. Um, they're about meeting the, the person where they're at, whatever disability they have, like whatever gender preference, orientation, a sexuality, um, race, um, gender, you know, so, you know, social class. They're meeting people where they're at, which is, yeah. the, which is the best thing about the, the organization. However, when it comes up against a lot of systemic um, racism and oppressive systems, it's very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we're endeavoring to become an anti-racist organization, um, which is actually really great. And uh, I've been studying anti-racism this past years, and it was part of my um, focus with my master's degree from San Francisco State in um, equity and social justice issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I felt it was like, wow, this is really falling into place. What I'm interested in, um, and I'm and I'm at the like I'm at the front lines, you know, witnessing um, racial tension between Latinx community and Black community, and you know, a lot of fear around that. So I think that's been more pronounced. Um, I think sometimes. N- Either community doesn't realize that they have both been oppressed and discriminated against by the white dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so that creates a lot of racial tension um, among people in the community as well. And it takes work. It takes a lot of work to dismantle that um, and to look at it and to have an intersectional lens about why these issues come up in within communities living um, beside each other, you know, and people you know, ask why can't, you know, they get along because they're both, they both have, have these, you know, oppressive systems against them from coming down from like, you know, the housing authority from HUD, you know, from, Mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of places. And it's like, you know, they experience the same kind of oppression. It's just different. Um, The black communities had to deal with this for so long since, you know, you know, when slaves back with slavery and, and, you know, just the history of that all and reparations and everything, like, it's just been like a generational trauma. Um, Latinx community also, you know, with, you know, immigrate, immigration policy is just kind of a disaster right now. And they're, they're getting deported. Um, they're feeling like they're, they're not wanted here, even if they've mm-hmm. lived here. A long time, and some of them came in with with their everything was fine. They had their legal papers, everything, the green card. Then it was then then after a while, it just sort of broke down. Um, and Obama actually deported a lot of immigrants um, before even Trump got into that. And oh yeah, yeah, the worst of it was putting kids in cages. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, and that's still, that still is, a, that's still going on. You know, people seem to have forgotten about it, but that's still, the kids are still in the cages. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if people are aware of that. I mean, so much has gone on with George Floyd and all the protests and, and people trying to, you know, figure out how to be um, activists, how to be on the ground. If they're not comfortable with being on the ground, how do they be like, you know, how do they set the intention to be activists? Yeah, um, I'm certainly not in the position to do boots on the ground my myself. Mm-hmm. But I, as a person in recovery, as a person of color in recovery, I've been doing what I can within my own recovery community and providing recovery uh, spaces for POC to have access to to recovery. Um, it's a different because it, when you're a person of, and I'm speaking from my own experience, like as a person of color, it's I I have I have dealt with microaggressions my entire entire life, mm-hmm. and my my parents made it, it was their mission to educate all their kids. I'm the oldest of three, educate all their kids. And, you know, luck, I mean, I don't know the type of parents that I, that I, that I had though. I, I'm third generation Mexican, third generation, like Latino or, or, or whatnot. My, my immediate family never prescribed to the traditional Mexican culture um, on what's expected of the girls, you know, myself and my sister and what's expected with, with, with my brother, though, not to say that we were kind of like exposed to it, but it wasn't something that was like prescribed, like, and, you know, and on top of that, like alcoholic home, and mm-hmm. all and all the lovelies that come with that. There were times where my dad would say some stuff, but we would just look at him and like, "What the fuck are you talking about? That's like really <laughs> sexist." So it would kind of be like we would call out, we would call call him out. But in traditional Mexican culture, it's like you don't call out your dad, but we called out our dad all the time. Um, so I, that's what I do. I'm I'm all about the having access to, to recovery on, um, being affected by, by alcoholism. So that's my, my focus on the activism front. And, and with you, it's like, you have two things, like, this is your job, like your boots on the ground job, like this is your job, but also you're also doing activism in your, in your spare time. And, you know, uh, just reflecting back on your own personal experience, like what have you, because even b- before we got, we before we started recording the podcast, we talked a little bit about, you know, privilege, like privilege within the Latino community. And, you know, you yourself, you've been doing this work, this type of work for, you know, over, over 10 years. So mm-hmm. um, what, how, how, and we talked about like recognizing our own personal personal privilege like how have you how have you used your own personal privilege in in your activism Uh, I think coming from a like I am I am white passing so I look very I mean last night I was out and people were surprised I was Puerto Rican um (laughs) so I get that so much and 
and I, I speak Spanish fluently. Um, I grew up in Puerto Rico um, from like, a, it was a, basically a middle class background um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a suburb, you know, of San Juan. And, you know, ever since then, like the, the privilege of like being, you know, white, passing, even having a cultural background of being Puerto Rican, you know, I, I was lucky to have, you know, both that privilege of, you know, white and being able to speak Spanish in a completely different language. So that's, you know, that, that works for me and my work. Like I use my Spanish all the time. So I have that privilege, but, you know, I was also, somebody was talking to me about pretty privilege and I was like, okay, that's mm. interesting. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not like a bad looking person. So maybe that works for me too. Maybe that's how I got as far as I did um, with the work that I've done that people can like, oh, she's like, you know, she looks, she looks, you know, good. Like she's not, I don't know. It's just weird. Like coming, you know, I have to realize that like mainstream media has really pushed this whole pretty thing on, mm-hmm. on us right? people being like, oh, you know, you look good. Like, you know, so then you're more accepted, you know, people are more open to you. It opens doors if you are like, you look a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, well, I don't like think, you know, and I, and I, I'm always like, kind of like, oh, thank you. But I, I don't like compliments. I am, I know I'm very, you know, I don't like compliments. I don't know what to do with them. Um, <laughs> well that's part of like my own thing where I'm like I don't know what to do you can't even say thank you like what's going on but I recognize that I do have that privilege of and also being educated you know and knowing like knowing resources and services and you know being I'm willing to help people as well so that's really helped my activism but you know it also I also have a hard time saying no to people I want to help everybody um, so it gets, it gets a little bit overwhelming. Um, that's where boundaries come in, where you just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm Mark Roman of Mark Roman Empire, also a podcast. And I coined the term hero tier. Now it's a cause. Helping house Venka and Will since December 2019. Helping creatives since St. Patrick's Eve 2020. Follow on Instagram at hero tiergram. Discover more at herotier.org. Herotier, leave no human outside. Um, but this privilege that you're talking about, about white passing, I remember, you know, I come from a family with a lot of different, like, everybody's a different kind of skin tone mm-hmm. um, in my family. Like, there's, like, the, there's, like, me and my two brothers, we all look very, like, you know, well, my youngest brother doesn't. He looks more Latino, actually, because he, he wasn't Puerto. He lived in Puerto Rico longer than I did. Um, but me and my other brother are like very light skinned like so. You know, we get. You know, we 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 benefit from that privilege. Um, even if like I really didn't start thinking about it until maybe like five six years ago. Um, or while I was in call, I guess doing my master's degree, I became aware of like this this, this issue of privilege and white privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it really impacts, like how you do activism, how you, you know, work, do, do community work, because you know people look up to you and think, oh, that person is the leader, that person is the right, you know, color to like, you know, help us. Um, and you know, using your privilege in that way to to help um, amplify, magnify pe- people of color. Um, voices and experiences is something that I, I've been thinking about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because because mm-hmm. I I know I, I've 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 heard you talk about your work your work before, and this kind of leads into the next topic of uh, per- performative allyship. Mm-hmm. And you know, you look how you look, but you've been doing this this work like pre COVID, not like you're jumping on on the bad wagon. Not to say if this COVID is inspired, there's a difference between, okay, if you're inspired to do something, like do something. And, but there's a difference between like, okay, is this like, I'm inspired. I, I want to do something and like doing the footwork and the work to, to do activism and like the difference between like a, a performative allyship and coming from an authentic place. Like since I've known you, you've always came from an authentic uh, place. Uh, so how, how have you addressed, like, have you ever called out, like, using your privilege to call out, you know, the perform, the performative, or uh, do you, do you engage in Twitter battles or Facebook battles or where, when you're having dialogue with someone, is it, you know, do you do it online? Have you done it in person? And where are you most, most effective in that era, in that area? Um, you know, I do, I do sometimes, you know, whenever I see performative allyship on, on, um, Facebook, um, and Twitter, actually, it's just, it is a lot. Um, people, I think people are either comfortable with calling themselves allies. I'm not necessarily that comfortable. Um, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm more of like, I need to do the allies i have to be the new be and do allyship i just can't be like hey i'm going to talk about it and this is what the things that need to change although i will get on my soapbox admittedly and just be like hey this is going on these are the solutions um we need to do this we need to do that let's do it um it is a, sometimes it could be looked at as a monolith almost i think like when you when you're looking at people people really have good intentions around it um, I don't think they're necessarily being inauthentic. They just haven't really thought about what it what it entails. What does it mean to be an activist, or what it means to be an ally? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I shift uncomfortably when I when I see the word because I'm like, you know, I could say I'm an ally of this person, but did they really ask for my help? Um, mm, that's a good point. Did they ask? Yeah. Did they even ask for your help? You know, like oh, you know, I'm I'm allied with the Black queer trans lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all well and good, but if they, if you show up and you're not black, trans, queer, you know, they're like, what are you doing here? You know, like, well, and you're there, oh, what can I help you with? And they'll be like, we actually don't know. We have, we are doing whatever we have to do. We're empowered already mm-hmm. by our leaders. Mm-hmm. And you come, you come in here and, you know, I speak only from my experience as well, you know, and I may have had a, li- a limited experience as being an activist. Um, in my own right, and and I feel like I'm more of a like like an intellectual activist sometimes um, when I because I do I do read a lot and I like to quote like a lot of different um, authors and 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 you know black feminist thinkers and mm-hmm. and you know and I like to put you know include that and I share that on, on my Facebook and sometimes on my Instagram. I was just looking at my Instagram and I noticed I had a quote by Adrian Marie Brown. Um, about building community and how that is like a spiritual practice, mm-hmm. um, which was really cool. Actually, I looked at my Instagram and I was like, "You posted that. That's pretty cool." Like, and I must have been reading 
her book, um, Emergent Strategies, um, which is an excellent book. And I recommend that for people who are, who want to be that sort of community activist. Um, and I feel like I am more of a community activist. Um, but I can, I, it actually like sort of dovetails nicely into like just trying to be an activist like right now with these, uh, with the protests for, um, with, for the movement for supporting Black Lives Matters and all these other, um, think all these other protests that are, or marches like the Women's March and all these other marches. And, you know, I've really, sometimes I, I do get, um, I guess get a little despondent because it feels like so much work. And sometimes I, I, I'm demand, I'm like asking people, what, what will bring you out? I know you were scared of COVID-19 and you're scared of large gatherings. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're trying to protect yourself and your family and your children and your grandparents. Like it's, you know, and, but you do want to be a part of it. You want to do your part. Um, and you, you know, I feel like a lot of people do believe in it. They believe, but they're just, you know, they're, they're protecting their health, you know? And yeah. that I have to honor that and value that. Even if sometimes I'm like, man, we really do need you to come out um, and show, and show yourself and be there with everybody else. The youth, um, the youth have the time and the energy and they, you know, they don't feel like they're endangering so much. They're out there because they want to be. Um, mm -hmm. And when I go to a protest, I'm out there when I want to be. It starts with you. Um, it really does start with you. Um, as a lot of um, recovery literature has, you know, like mentioned, it all, everything starts with you. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. and it's one day. Yeah, and it's one day at a time, too. Like, some days it's like, it feels like systemic racism, structural racism is so huge. How am I going to dismantle this? How am I going to break this down? Mm. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. like, it happens in really tiny pieces. It's a step-by-step -step thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I will say that I what I've seen, like, uh, COVID-19 has really ex accelerated the, the process in that because so, so many things are canceled sports festivals well you know i guess some festivals are are going on but for the most part you know millions of people are un unemployed uh sports uh are uh canceled so it's like across the board like you can't the the distraction to escape or like oh it's too painful i don't want to think i think about that it's like it's staring you right in the face. So you either have a choice to keep throwing temper tantrums on like my rights and blah, 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 mask, or you could grow up and do the inventory of, okay, where was I racist? How have I used my own racism to get ahead and bulldoze others? And that's not pretty to look at. But what I have found in my own personal recovery path is you got to walk through the pain pain to heal like in order for me to become like you know uh an effective activist i need to heal i yep. need to look at myself and you know in the recovery literature that i've read activism is a characteristic for those who are who grew up in in alcoholic homes and using activism as a distraction yourself like i don't want to look at myself so i'm going to help others I don't want to look at my own pain, so I'll help others, which, you know, on the surface, you know, it's, it looks good, like, but who would know? But it's like, if, 
I don't pay attention to that or address it. It's that trauma, that unprocessed healed trauma, it's going to spill out. It's going to spill out into my activism and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be effective. And in fact, it actually does me like more damage. Like I damage myself. Like I hurt myself and others when I don't look at my own, own trauma. So how, how have you in terms of like the, the emotional healing and your activism, like how has that impacted your activism? Well, I think about the internalized racism part of it because we've all internalized racism. Um, sometimes I, I, I was I was calling out a fr- I called out a friend because he did use some words that were racially loaded on my Facebook. And, you know, every once in a while you slip. Nobody's perfect. Mm. Especially not on that medium. <laughs> um, clearly not. You get a lot of like crazy. Anyway, I mean, just sometimes you just like get trapped in the heat of the moment and your emotions are like shooting off because, oh, this person called me a racist and I didn't intend that to happen. You know, I wasn't what I was saying wasn't I didn't think it was. Mm. So I think about it and I'm like, wow, you know, I've had to recover from internalized racism, internalized heterosexism, all these internalized things from society um these messages they're not things they're messages um they're images there's you know social conditioning um which are very damaging um i think you the americans from the united states are going through this this like realizing that they have gone through um this trauma of you know racism um mm-hmm. that is going on and we need to heal from it um, and that's why uh, I will, you know, there's a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. Um, it's an excellent book, and he's been interviewed by um, a bunch, a uh, lot of people recently about his book. He did write another book called Stamp from the Beginning, which is the history of racist thinking in America. Um, and so a lot of, you know, I realized from reading these books that I'm, in, I'm endeavoring on healing through that and through my community work. You know, I've learned so much from that and that's how I am healing. But I also have to, you know, do my, th- I, I do, I do, uh, I do therapy once a week. Um, and I talk to my therapist and it's a lot of like unpacking and unloading um, all these uh, feelings and emotions around who I am, my identity. Cause you know, my identity is, is, is mine. This is what I, you know, it's important to me. Um, how other people see me, their perspective is totally different when they, uh, when they meet me for the first time or, you know, after, even after like I've told them, you know, I've some people I've recently met and I've met, I've had to remind them. I'm like, you know, I, 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 I even if I look this way, I'm actually like, you know, Puerto Rican and, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of questioning identity and, and being like, you don't look like you speak Spanish, you know? And I was like, wow, speaking a language is even racialized in this country. Um, I think I was talking to somebody else like, well, you look like somebody from like Argentina, like Buenos Aires. And I'm like, yeah, I remember I, I gone to Buenos Aires before and everybody spoke Spanish to me. Like it was not a, even a question. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, like if the US, I get a totally different treatment. If I don't look like darker or look more indigenous, um, I don't look like I speak Spanish, which is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. so those are the kinds of things that I come 
come up again, you know, come up against. Even with the people that, I, even with the, the the community that I work with, the Latinx community I work with in, in betrayal hell, they also have these these comments to me, and I've actually gotten used to them. Um, because you know, you meet somebody for the you know a few times, and you assume something else. And I talk to a lot of people on the phone uh, right now, and I haven't met them in person, so they assume that I you know look different than when I talk. So it's very interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've, had, I've I've gone through a lot of healing with that too. Like I I've actually been like, wow, you know, when people when people meet you for the first time, they're actually surprised. Um, they think I'm like from Spain or something yeah. or, you know, honestly, or Colombian because mm-hmm. I guess there's a lot of white Colombians. There's a lot of, you know, honestly, in Latin America, there's a lot of, there's also a lot of, um, racially white people. I think we forget that, um, you know, Spain, uh, and Spanish settlers and, you know, just years and years of that it's colonial, it's colonialism, you know, mm-hmm. I think people tend to forget that there's. I've met Mexicans who have, who look like me. Um, I've met like, you know, in Argentina, most people look like me. <laughs> so like not, not the indigenous people because there are indigenous populations in Argentina, but you know, within my own experience, I, I've, I've gotten that language thing a lot. Um, it is very interesting. I'm proud that I can speak Spanish. Um, and I don't really don't, I, you know, it's just part of like I think it's like a, a great asset for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like another language, it gives you another kind of intelligence. Um, but yeah, I think healing from this trauma. I mean, this is going to be COVID nineteen is going to be one of those where we're going to be healing from it. Like everybody who's gone through this pandemic will be healing in some way or another. And it's really. Some be, and I realize it can it can be isolating and depressing, and that's you know one of the things. Like, how do we deal with this isolation? I think that's one of the questions that we talked about. Um, yeah, yeah, you know? we could definitely talk about that because you know when it comes to healing, healing and activism, and and it's like this is your own path. When it comes to healing, it's like you know all all my codependent attachments that I had before. It's like you know, this. Uh, use, using relationships to fill an, um, a spiritual hole that cannot be filled by a human being. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, before I got into recovery, it's like that was, you know, I thought, I thought monogamy was it. It was it. You meet the one person and soulmates, though, though I, I, I still like the idea of a soulmate, but not in the sense of like, of like, you know, they're the end all be all. It's more like um, I'll, I've met, I've met so many soulmates and it's, and um, I've recently done some inventory where it's like, wow, I didn't know when it came to relationships, there's a lot of letting go, like a lot of letting go. And that's finally like hit, hit my heart. And that's like 15 years, 15 years in the making to even get that far. But am I done? I'm like, no, but this is all, I mean, it's not like, um, I'm doing everything myself. I have a community that I lean on. I have a sponsor that I talk to. I go to my meetings. Like I'm in, I'm in my 12 step service. And so it's like, you know, I'm, I'm connected. I'm connected, but it's not like codependently like connected to them, mm-hmm. but it's my own path. Like I, it's, I, I do the footwork. Like it's, it's me. Like I do the footwork and, 
do I still want people to rescue me? It's like, yeah, that's still there for sure. Like, why not? Like, oh, rescue. Love it. But it's like, <laughs> like when it's done, like when that's like, that's my thoughts or, but when it's actually done, like, I don't like being rescued. I don't like people speaking for me. I don't like being rescued. Like when in the reality, I, I actually, I actually hate it, but it's like, you know, knowing that difference of what, of I'm, I'm staying indoors. I'm not going out. I'm doing my part. When I do go out, I wear my mask every, every time I go out and, um, Mm -hmm. my mom is up here, you know, my sister's in Portland. And so I do have family. I I am in quarantine with, with my brother. So it's not like I'm terribly isolated. Uh, however, it's like just knowing that difference between, uh, isolation and keeping, and keeping safe and and they could definitely play play on each other where I could get caught up in a in a hole for sure but I uh being having the awareness aware awareness acceptance action that's a recovery slogan that I hear and a lot like being present and having that awareness like I'm like oh you're like you're isolating so to get out of that isolation I could uh, hop on hop on a zoom, a zoom meeting or send a text. And sometimes that's the only, uh, you know, the emotion talk about budgets, there's emotional budgets, like I only have the strength to text one person. Mm-hmm. So but it's like, if that's all I have, that's all I have. And that's okay. Um, yeah. how, how are you handling the isolation? And how are you knowing knowing the difference between, you know, uh, isolation and just um, enjoying your solitude in during this time? I don't know. Like some days are better than others. Some days I definitely feel like I'm just isolating. Um, and I don't feel like taking part in my normal like routine. So, Cause I, I've, I have developed a routine during the weekends. Um, either like, you know, doing yoga in the morning with a zoom mm-hmm. class that I, that my favorite San Francisco teacher, Tony Easton, um, has Zoom classes like three or four times a week. So I try to do that twice a week. When I don't do it, um, sometimes I'm like using other ways of coping that are not always healthy, but we all do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, use those as kind of crutches. And in the end, I'm like, you didn't do your routine and your routine's kind of important um, right now. I'm Mark Roman of Mark Roman Empire, also a podcast. And I coined the term hero tier. Now it's a cause. Helping house Venka and Will since December 2019. Helping creatives since St. Patrick's Eve 2020. Follow on Instagram at hero teargram. Discover more at herotier.org. Hero tier. Leave no human outside. You know, and I like how you coined emotional budget. Um, because yeah, you only have, um, so much emotion and so much, you know, bandwidth to give to certain, you know, certain, for me to, for work, even the emotion, emotional, um, budgets, like kind of like a little bit going over where I'm thinking of working when I shouldn't be working. I have to be like taking a break, you know, not working like mm-hmm. for today, for example. Um, and I'm like, wow, you, you still need to finish this, but you, you know, you don't have the, like, you almost don't have the bandwidth to handle that. Maybe, you sh- you know, you need to figure out the budget a little bit better. Mm, yeah, de- uh, definitely. Yeah, and the isolation is, um, is, 
you know, you do have moments where you isolate and there's other times where I really enjoy my solitude. Like I'll, I'll be outside in a park reading and be getting so much out of it. And I'm like, you should, and writing poetry or, you know, writing something just to get it out of your, you know, head. And so sometimes we also have to do that. We have to be creative about how we like use that energy because it can go into like isolating and depression very easily, uh, especially for me. Um, you know, trying to figure out like, oh, you know, what is my part? What is my, you know, what is my space in this? Like, you know, what I feel is my activism. Like, what does it mean to me? Um, it can be like really stressful because you want to do more than you can. Um, you want to be, you want to spread yourself very thin. And I, you know, I, with work, I it's always like a spread thin kind of situation. But like, you know, your your life outside of work doesn't have to be like that. Um, you actually have control over, like, you know, you actually have control of it at work. You just could say, no, no more, no more answering the phones after 530. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. People will call you, like, at 9 p.m. So it's like, no, I'll, I'll take that in the morning. So there's very little things that I do to just, you know, manage that. Um, I don't, like, feel like I have to, you know, help everybody and solve all their problems. Because that's the thing. You want to solve other people's problems and you have, like you have issues going on too, you mm-hmm. know, just to, and you know, that, that focus on other people's problems is, is, is a codependent issue. Um, and my work is all about solving other people's problems, but I have to also <laughs> allow people to solve their own problems. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise you make yourself crazy and you, you distracted yourself from yourself because a lot of it is you're not wanting to deal with yourself. That's a very, very like, recovery issue. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I mean especially the the type of work that you're doing a care a care na- navigator and yeah. it's like, you know, empowering people versus just taking away people's dignity to let them do their own own thing. Like you're you're the re- the resource. You're the mm-hmm. you're the resource. The Ch- Shante project is the resource that they could that they could um you know, take advantage of during, during, during this time. Um, and the staff and the staff that's there, it's, it's, it's like, we're, we're, we're here to help, but we're, we're not here to fix and fix and rescue you, which I do find an activism, that character defect coming up, the fixing, the fixing, the rescuing, the taking, the taking it all. And I've, I've seen so many, I mean, I, I, I scroll on my Facebook feed and I do see people doing their activism, uh, but they're burnt, they're burnt out. And I, um, and I do, I do hear some dialogues revolving them, but we do need like continue the dialogue on, on what it means to um, pace yourself and activism. It's kind of hard too, not kind of hard, but I think the systems in place are very the oppressive systems that are in place come from a narcissistic sociopathic foundation in my in my observation where where um, in the activism side is is a very empathic empathic found foundation mm-hmm. and and if you're if you if 
for those who are listening, if you do identify as an empath, and we talked a little bit about about this too. There's like degrees of empathy, the cognitive empathy and the um, empathy. I forgot the term, but it's if uh, the type of empath where you could feel their feel, like you feel what the other person is feeling, and so much so that you're incapable of feeling your own feelings. Like when someone someone's talking to you and they're angry, you you, you become angry. And um, that's very dangerous if you just mm-hmm. don't know the difference of what when when one person's end and you begin and you're taking that to your activism. Uh, you're, um, I've seen people die over this. The stress yeah. is just too too much, um, and it's, it's really important to 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 nod because these oppressive systems. I don't know what's going to happen like after COVID. Um, maybe they'll still be, still be there, but in a way where they're not out of, out of control, um, Mm -hmm. or justice is, is sustainable or, um, where, where like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to court to some, if you get arrested and they say, you know, part of your, um, random rights and they say, if you can't afford a lawyer, we'll get you one. And they get you like the public defender, uh, And, um, and the other op, like defendant plaintiff, uh, you're the defendant and like the plaintiff like has a better, has a better legal team, but you don't because of socioeconomic, like whatever. Um, mm-hmm. this is like my idea, like, like post COVID, like what if the legal system was like, they look at the opposition, they look at their legal team. Oh, you have a dream team. I'm like, okay, you get a degree, a a dream team too, and like make it legally, legally equal, like equity. Um, is yeah, equal. Um, yeah. I would, th- you know, the whole the whole thing for activists right now. The activism is centered around equity, not only equality but also equity. Mm-hmm. Everybody has an equal access to to the resources and services, and and to get their needs met. Um, these basic kind of, you know, these are very basic. Actually, it's not even radical. Um, and I think so about that a lot. Rad- I'm like, this is radical to some, like this, like, the weekend, the new deal, like, like when the new deal happened, uh, um, after, after the depression, mm-hmm. um, like, here's the thing, like we had Spanish flu, like it was world war one Spanish flu actually canceled out world war two. Like it ended world. I mean, one, I'm sorry, one Spanish flu ended world war one. Cause it's like, you can't find a war and a pandemic at the same time. And, um, and then, uh, Great Depression was 1929. So Spanish flu was 1918. Depression hit in in 29, and mm-hmm. and you know that was fun. And the New Deal came out of that. It was so you know you think it's basic. Like we take advantage. I had this conversation with my brother. We were talking about the weekend. There was no such thing as the weekend. Like where you don't work on Saturday and Sunday. Like that was unheard of. Like people worked. Child labor was like a Tuesday. You worked. Um, there was no social social security at all. There was no such thing. Um, so what's so standard, what we think is so standard, it was revolutionary back back then. So um, these basic, the what we're asking for is basic is it's revolu- like national health care. And then like other countries are 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 doing it. They're doing yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. Other countries have had these um like all like universal basic income 
um, universal health care for long already. They, you know, we, they probably take it for granted, but, and we're still like at this point where we're like, okay, we're still deciding who deserve, who is worthy and who deserves all these things, mm-hmm. which is for me kind of mind blowing, but it also demonstrates that there's such a lack of, there's such inept, just, just like so many great inequities in this country. Um, how we, you know, first we have to get rid of the, you know, white supremacy and like notions that, you know, what the, the white dominant culture is the one, like the leader, the, you know, the savior, um, the great rescuer <laughs> of other like people of color. Even that term, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's embedded in that whole like, oh, they're diff- the difference, the otherizing of people. Um, when they're all basically, we're all, we're all made of the same thing. Like we're all, we have bodies, we have blood, you know, we're all made of the same, you know, we have cells, like we're all kind of, we're basically the same, you know, but it's just like, we're not treated the same. Um, so I think a large part of activism is, you know, becoming aware of how you are, you, you benefit, you know, by your skin color or by your class privilege, um, gender privilege all these things that's what like blows me out um blows me away when i see arguments for all all lives matter as a as a argument against all black lives i mean yeah all black lives matter black lives matter and then you know you you see like well all lives matter and it's like Uh okay um i mean i (laughs) this is my rebuttal it's like but it's not set up that way yeah. It's not set up that way. It never was. It never like capitalism can't exist on on on, on an all lives matter. Capitalism exists like one of a demographic of people, underrepresented people, brown black people, they um they're resp- they're responsible for your wealth. So so it's what what am I what am I trying to get get at where it's it's this psychosis. I mean, I've status this before, like the psychosis of privilege knows no bounds. The psychosis, mm-hmm. like, like, do you, do you hear yourself talk? And that just comes from an, a complete lack of, of self self-awareness, whether they realize it or not. And even if you point it out to them, it's like, no, it's like, well, you know, it's going to take, it's kind of like finding your bottom. Like I can't, I can't force the alcoholic to like, don't you see what you're doing? It's like, they don't, they don't see, like you see it, like you see it, you go get help. You know, you see the truth, you go get help. There's nothing you're going to do or say, you know, especially like if you're the non-drinker, there's nothing you could do or say to get that alcoholic sober. It's going to take an act of God or like another, an alcoholic to come. If he has that, he or she has that willingness to hear you know, a message and then like, oh, okay. Like I've seen it over and over and over again about like the bottoms. Mm-hmm. It, it either comes when you're dead or when you're, if you're lucky enough, you'll have that willingness is going to strike and be like, oh, okay. Um, I, I'm like, maybe it is time to get help. And then you get help. And, and that's like a, like a, a path in itself. Um, 
And it's like, sure. I don't know. So I do. So when it comes to like Twitter battle and like, I, I hear that all lives matter. It's like, I'm not, I'm going to keep scrolling. It's like, good luck with you. <laughs> I know, you know, honestly, it takes, it's, it's, it takes people who have overcome their, you know, not that you can ever like overcome racism, but just be aware of like the racism that it is inherent in your life as mm-hmm. a person that takes part in capitalism, which is in, entrenched in racism. Um, it's, it's been since the beginning, like, since, like slavery was, slavery is because of capitalism, basically. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds very clipped. Um, and, and it's a lot to unpack because it's all like kind of you know it's all like kind of twisted and entrenched in each other. Yeah. Um, I could see that it, uh, capitalism. The goal is to get the labor cost to zero, and mm-hmm. so slavery was was zero, 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 zero labor costs. So you yeah. see, you see yeah. wages stagnating. You see minimum. You know this fight. You know, why do you think there's always a fight to increase minimum wage? Because you're you're not it cuts into your to your bottom line. Like if if everything is set up as like our healthcare, it's it's profit based. And when you get and when it's profit based, it's like how can I cut cost cu- cut costs? Well, that impacts like human like human lives. Like that's it. Like the goal of capitalism is labor costs are zero, and um, you're going to fuck up a lot of a lot of lives um doing doing that model and um mm-hmm. pandemic pandemic is the only thing that i've i mean that i've lived in my own life. like it it didn't happen in occupy wall street it almost mm-hmm. i mean it started you're like oh wow i'm like well it wasn't a pandemic oh the only the the only thing that put you guys at ease with the whole Occupy Wall Street was like a little change in interest rates, and it's like, oh, I could buy a house now. I'm like, okay, everything's fine. Um, they know exactly they know exactly what what they need to do in order to get you back going going to work. But pandemic, they can't do that. I think they're trying to like do all the tricks to get you guys back back working, and it's not it's not working. Like, look at what work at home. Like, I mean, with your job, it's, it's a little bit, I mean, you're working from home, I guess a little, like a little bit and the nature of work, the nature of your work requires you to have like that in-person presence. But, you know, I get that. But with white collar workers, like I'm in a white collar industry accounting, there's no excuse. There's no Mm -hmm. excuse for me to come into your office uh, during this time or ever. Yeah. It's a control thing. It's always it been, been a control thing. You try to call them out on it. It's like, no, no. I mean, you would know if I'm not being productive and I'm work and I'm working from home and you don't see me, you will know. You will know I'm not being productive because, well, I'm not answering my emails. You will see if I'm not answering my emails. Um, you will see me not logging in into the system and uploading general ledgers. Like if month close ho- comes and you don't see those general ledgers being uploaded in the system, like you would know. And then they mm-hmm. would have a conversation. But until that happens, it's like you just got to trust your workers. Like, did you not interview us? Did you not talk to us on the phone? Did I not Did I not pass your drug test and your background check? And you called the references. You called all the references. that I, They're not stupid. My my old boss that I have, she's not stupid. She'll tell you the truth. She'll tell you the truth. So what is this? What is, what is this need? Like, I got it. You got to come to the office. I'm like, no, I don't. 
I don't need to go to the office. Let me just do my job. Yeah. Um, yeah, I go I go to work once a week actually and it's usually like the the one day I go to the, to work from the office is just really it's really difficult. It's actually hard to concentrate at that office because we're like <laughs> right in the community and everybody's like outside <laughs> like hanging out, smoking, like you know, it's a public housing. Um so there's children running around, they're not in school. So it is Right now, it's it is hard to work. It's hard to work because the work has changed and it has it's gotten to be more work. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're working from home more, so it's kind of unbalanced. So, you know, honestly, right now is a time to really think about how emotional emotional how do we emotionally balance ourselves to be like sustainable human beings, and how do we become like sustainable activists um, out there? You, you, where be be it like in the front lines or at home, like donating and supporting causes, um, calling your uh, represent political representatives, like you know, going going to virtual city council meetings, getting your voice heard, amplifying people of color voices across the spectrum, um, calling out all lives matter. You know, I've seen all lives matter like in on like you know car stickers and mm-hmm. actually i saw black 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 and blue lives matters and i actually lost it <laughs> so it's like uh, man that's not even a thing and i don't know what that what you what is that supposed to mean like they, there cannot be both <laughs> no, people so are like, strange psychosis man that's like, like some serious psychosis right there no, it is. And I was, I was, I had rented a car and I was driving a back of this van and I was like, you know what? I feel like going beside you and being like, dude, that's not even a thing. What you got back there. <laughs> you know, and you got to think about that. Like for real, like you're, you're not, you're, you're not totally right on about this right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's one or the other. You cannot do both. And I think people want to like straddle that line a little bit. I don't, I don't even think that's like a good allyship or if you want to be an ally or activism in that sense. And I do hear people say all lives matter because they want to like, you know, they want, they're not, it's like not rocking the boat and like, oh, it's all important. I'm like, yeah, but that person's house is burning and your house is fine. What are you going to do about those lives? Because those are the mm-hmm. lives that are, are getting killed in the streets for being black. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, I guess Breonna Taylor getting killed in her in her place while she's sleeping. Um, somebody like police broke into her place and she was killed. Like, you know, it's just yeah, it, yeah. Things are yeah. Like, just. This is just uh, the the, uh, the 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 pandemic has really amplified all this. It is brought to like, it's really brought to it to a head, and that's why people are protesting because you know this has gone on for so long. Yeah. Um, yeah, you I know, think I, I, anytime, I, anytime I hear like all all lives matter, I just want to. I just the first thing that comes into my like my brain is like, okay, there's some unprocessed childhood trauma. <laughs> it's like I just see right through it. It's like, oh, you don't want to look at your own pain. That's why you're saying that. Of course, I'll probably be called like bullshit. I'm like, well, okay, why don't you just sit sit with that? Like, how lucky is your life? How lucky is your life for you to even like say all lives all lives matter? You know, it's just so bypassing. Um, I don't know. 
it really distracts. Um, it's just a it's just a distraction mechanism. I feel that it's like I don't even know. Sometimes I'm like I don't understand where people come from with this stuff. Um, it seems like they don't want to think about what's really going on. Um, there's an attempt to erase and silence history, and mm-hmm. I guess I maybe I, I put a lot into it, but I'm trying to, you know, I don't know, understand where the person's coming from. Um, and some and I, I try I try like I don't know why sometimes I feel it's a little bit of waste of time, but I try to understand people's perspective even if I don't agree with their perspective. Um, and so I've been coming to that in a lot with a lot of people that I've talked to on Facebook and. And I notice on Twitter, there's a lot of activity, and sometimes it's like, wow, that 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 idea shows to me that you haven't really done the work, mm-hmm. um, and you don't you're not interested in doing the work. And I don't know if I want to waste my time with you know talking to you and trying to educate you. You know, as a person from like white passing privilege, I'm like, okay, now it's time to use your privilege for good and try to you know not help people, but you know make them you know, educate them to a certain extent and help them see the light. But some people, there's, I don't know, just some of the way, sometimes the way people act and behave, I just don't want to go there. And maybe it's a a good dialogue or conversation just to have. Um, Even if you're questioned, even if they try to play devil's advocate, which is not my favorite thing in the world. I think, I think, I think some, some um, mansplainers (laughs) like to do that. (laughs) And you're like, uh, okay, where are you coming from with this? This means you have some male, white male privilege that you you haven't really acknowledged. I've never found devil's advocate even remotely useful, especially now. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how privileged are you to even like propose a devil's advocacy because you're not there. You're you're not on the side of a devil a devil's advocate to begin with. So why are you talking? <laughs> you know, it's so it's so it's so it's so triggering. I know like the, this topic is very is very triggering and and emotional for a lot of people. Even for me, well, we had place we had we had protest activity last night. I'm I'm in a neighborhood where we're getting a lot of. Uh, protests, which I totally support. I'm totally in support of the protests, the Portland protesters that are doing the work right right at uh, Lombard Street and the police, the Portland Police Bureau, one of its buildings, it's boarded up, but they still go there. It's like a block and a half. It's like a block and a half away uh, where mm-hmm. where I live. So we we get it all. Um, we we get uh, the activity here and other other parts of. Uh, other parts of Portland. Um, they come at nine. The daytime's fine. The daytime is fine for me. Um, I'm able to do my supply, like my my supply runs. Uh, but the um, the activity is is at at night. And I did experience. I don't know if I told you this, but I did experience. My brother and I got experience being tear gassed, and we weren't outside. We weren't with the protesters. We were inside, being mm-hmm. safe. And mm-hmm. Portland police used or continued to use tear gas in residential areas. And I guess they're not supposed to. But you know, mm-hmm. the police protects capitalism. They're not there to protect the people. They're there to protect capitalism. And some people, mm-hmm. and some people who you know 
or behind like blue lives matter, all lives matter. It's like, you're just, you're just believing the story, this capitalistic narrative, like narrative. It's there. It's a a lie. You're just keep believing the lie. They're not there to to protect the people. They're there to protect capitalism. So the continuous use of tear gas in residential areas, it's like, Tear gas doesn't, it's a gas. It goes, it goes everywhere. It goes into the, like the neighborhoods in houses, residential houses that you're, you're gassing your own, your own people. You're not, you're not protecting shit. They're protecting property. So this violence against property. Is, I don't care about that. Like yeah, you have insurance. It yeah, burns down. You have insurance. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's for. Um, they're, they're they're confusing the the I mean mm-hmm. capitalism just cares about property it just cares about profit mm-hmm. it's like the property is more important than the people um, and so we have to that's you know that's why a lot of the protest is going on because of that re, you know reality DHS uh, I guess Department of Homeland Security is like oh well they're graffitiing buildings in Portland let's send Fed agents I'm like you're going to send Fed agents because of graffiti. Oh, you're not. You're there to like it's really. So it's a re- so reactionary. It's a it's a threat. Like pro like protests are just are just shaking up the system. They're not subscribing to your to your paradigm. You're going to do whatever it takes to protect that paradigm. Like millions, mm-hmm. you know, bill, billions. Like mil- the militarizing of of police. Um, why do you think that's there for? Like these military tactics tactic tactical or taking down people like knee knee to the neck like that's that's a tactic that's that's learned um i i got friends who i got this one friend facebook friend um i'm not gonna say his name but uh he's a he's a jujitsu like expert and he even says like even in fighting like a knee to the neck is a dick move like so you have martial arts. You have martial artists, experts that saying knee to the neck is a dick move. That's not that's not right. Like if someone did that in comp- competition, like like no, it's a huge. It it's like it, you don't even do it. Like don't even think about doing it. Like that's how serious it is in the martial arts. Mm-hmm. Like what I what when I what I gathered from reading his post, like it's it's a total um like what's it's like bigger than a disrespect like you don't do that like you don't do that in the martial artists like community martial arts community because there's an understanding like even in competition like when you're competing against your you know the other guy um Mm -hmm. and I use guy loosely not gender neutral I don't know the person it's um you know, you still treat them with respect. The same with MMA, MMA is like as bloody as it gets. Like they they respect each other. It's all it's all it's all play. It's all words. But like in policing, it's like absolute no disrespect. That's absolute like no respect. It's a disrespect. It's degrading. And if you're a sociopath, it's like a lot of these police. Like you need a sociopath on the police force for them to not to do what they to do what they did to do, you know, what George Floyd experienced, like every guy, every black guy that got like shot, like, yeah, because you're hiring sociopaths, you need to hire sociopaths to, to do that type of work. 
if you had a police force full of empaths, like, yeah, they would be able to do mediation or not have guns. And they're able not to trained do to do that. Yeah. They're not uh, trained for conflict uh, de-escalation techniques or conflict, um, you know. That's, like, more like, that's why, like, police forces, uh, their budgets are being cut so that they use the money to actually do some good and 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 curtail this. Um, but, you know, police have always been, act, it's a history of acting, police brutality is, is basically founded on this whole above the law, that they are above the law. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been acting like they're above the law for so long. Um, it, it, you know, this is why this sociopathic tendency within the police forces has just been so mad. You know, that's why a lot of them are quitting because they're realizing, oh, we're, you know, we're, we are like, we're, we're state-funded terrorism, basically, mm-hmm. um, domestic terrorism. I don't think people accept that. They, they think that it's more like, you know, whatever. What's his name? Ted, Ted I forgot his name. The, the, I'm doing a bomber. Like, it's like that, Oh, Ted, you know? Ted, Ted, Ted Kaczynski. Kinsis- yeah, they think it's like some Unabomber, this one guy, the, the people who, like, come into, like, like the people who, who you know, those, like, events where, like, a bunch of people got shot. Mm-hmm. They think it's, like, that you know there were always white men doing that there's i think black men don't even get a chance to to actually be serial killers but no that, that was a joke from last night's comedy show i'm really sorry <laughs> don't pull Ariel. you're right like they're already like gonna cut on the way to get on weapons i, you know? I think like, i've heard that joke before like you guys don't even give us a chance for us to become serial killers <laughs> Oh, like, <laughs> I don't know where he got that from. Oh. It was this, I think it's one of the the, the 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 comedian was a writer for Family Guy. That's all I remember. He's Indian, um, and he'd said that joke, and I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, you're right. Every all the white all all the all the um, serial killers are white men. Mm-hmm. There may have been one woman, one or mm-hmm. you know, there's been very few women, and they may have been like copycats or whatever mm-hmm. of like the, the serial. I mean, I used to watch serial killer shows a lot. Um, but, but yeah, you know, it's just, even with white supremacy, you've empowered the police force to like be this way. Like they're, they're trained to, they're trained with military tactics. They are, they're mm-hmm. weaponized, you know, their weapons are from the military. They, I remember you telling me the police force is equipped just like the military is equipped. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're coming at people like that, you're going to get a reaction. Mm-hmm. They want reaction, though. They wanted to have an excuse to tear gas you. I think I, I wasn't. I was at a, a protest in Oakland, and I also got tear gas, but not very much. It just probably like the mayor of Portland. I just sort of like, oh, it bothers me, and I, I walked off. I had the privilege to do that. I had the privilege to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they, and also they they tear gas peaceful protests. They they may have tear gas because some people wrote some stuff on a building. You know, mm-hmm. some exist. You know, or they're like, I actually, I think it's funny that sometimes the the, the protesters will throw the tear gas back at the police. Um, I find that very, I find that amusing. I'm like, oh, yeah, they threw it at you. Want to throw it back so they get a taste of their own medicine? You know, like what the hell is this? You're not, you're not even doing anything. You're marching. You're chanting. Um, you may be defacing some, or breaking a window of a bank, like, but you know that's. A lot of people don't like, they call protesters looters, they call protesters rioters, not everybody is in that same, you know, people tend to like just lump them all together, and I'm like, actually, there's a difference, you know, 
people don't go into the into um protests or activism for those you know to be a looter to be a rioter mm-hmm. those are negative like mainstream media like messages you know that they they want you to feed you that narrative that's a lie mm-hmm. and you know and there may be in, there may be like people who are cops who are who are you know also doing the rioting and the looting you don't know like i've heard many different stories about this too. yeah i've heard like plants and 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 whatnot and um yeah so that like that that happens i've seen um um oh this this last thought before before we wrap up to today's episode where uh the uh, the fed the federal uh, um police or i don't know the federal occupation if you would even want to call it that like in in portland and like people were uh, up in arms about the federal like federal agents or federal presence in in portland which I don't know if they forgot like Portland police was tear gassing us long before the feds ever, ever, yeah. ever came. And it's such like mm-hmm. a, switch, a switch of narrative. You see Ted Wheeler like, Oh, like uh, uh, I'm being tear gas too. I'm like, you're just mad because you want to tear, to do the tear gas. And now that the feds are doing the tear gas, like now you're upset. Like that's, that's why you're like this fake it's like so it's so fake. And then on on they did this on CNN when my and my brother pointed pointed it out. It's on um uh CNN footage of the um federal ocu- occupancy of um Portland and they showed uh clips and but what what they did was um they cut and pasted footage of Portland police with federal agent like clips. And the whole, and they the the whole yeah, they're the same. The whole segment was like federal occupation, federal occupation. What they, what probably the people who saw that clip didn't realize that um, what CNN did was cut and paste um, federal, like Portland police footage with federal footage because they both look the same in riot gear. And you wouldn't yeah. know, you wouldn't know the difference because they look so, they look the same and it was cut in a way where, um, it, it, it does show a narrative of like, oh my God, all these Portland agents. And that's not true. I mean, I'm living here. I'm living here. And like, yeah, maybe there were, but we were getting gassed by the Portland police and the federal agents and the Portland police, they're on the same side of we're we're here to protect capitalism. Mm-hmm. We're capitalism. We're not here. We're not here for systematic and sustainable activism and equity and equality. It's like, no, nah, we're here for to protect capitalism. And some of you are just gobbling up the story. So yay us. Yeah, they won with that one. <laughs> you just believed it. I'm like, I I was fooled. Like I was totally fooled. I'm watching it. I'm just watching the clip. Just like you know, just watching the clip. And then my brother was the one that pointed it out. And like, oh my god, oh. Oh, okay. If you didn't point it out to me, I would, I wouldn't have noticed. And if I didn't notice, I'm sure a shit ton of people didn't notice as well. So, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot going on with that. Um, just the narratives that people are consuming. Um, mm-hmm. well, like you know, honestly, like activism activism starts with you, and and like I think 
we'll put in a plug for self-care because you yeah. did ask me about that. Yes, yes. And, and self-care can be a revolutionary act. Um, Audrey Lord said that. Um, the, the, taking care of yourself is very important at this time, like realizing what your emotional budget is and, you know, what your budget is, like your financial budget, because everybody's, you know, not working, they're on unemployment, you know, you get like a measly 1200 randomly from the federal government um, right now, while, while other countries are getting like monthly, they're getting, you know, they're getting their, all their needs met and we're here like, just like, oh, please give us some more. Because mm-hmm. um, we, there's the, you know, the, econ- the economy is on the decline and that's what, this seems what the government, what Trump, the only thing he cares about is the economy. And, and it's just like, well, there's people, you know, capitalism cannot exist without poor people. Um, so, you know, you need to have like this huge underclass, unlimited, unskilled labor to take advantage of. And people are willing to do it because they're desperate. They need to work to, to survive. Mm-hmm. You brought it down to this level. Um, that's why we have to take care of each other. And that's why we have to take care of ourselves most importantly. Um, and also not try to do everything um, because you feel like it's not enough. And it does happen. We have this like deficit right now of like, is it enough? How are we going to change the systems? How are we going to fight for this? Do we have to like, um, you know, do, a, do, a, do what's it called? We're going to storm the castle you know, from the White House. <laughs> like, what are we going to do for the change to be taken seriously? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. Because the community work that I do and the and the activism work that, you know, I, I try to do. And I raised money for Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria and, you know, after... Yeah, and, yeah. And I raised... And I've raised money for Puerto Rico before that for, you know, after it's just been a lot of hurricanes in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all getting hit. Like, every, you know, and it's just really frustrating um, to see that unfold. But also, oh, you know, we forgot about Puerto Rico because of the pandemic. In a, and I, I remember I looked at some numbers in Puerto Rico and it looked like it was, there was like 18,000 cases of, of positive cases of COVID and about 250 deaths. Um, and their healthcare system is very impacted so ever since Hurricane Hurricane um, Maria. So, you know, there is there's still there's still a lot going. There's still everything else going on. Natural disasters amidst this pandemic. It's just taken you know it's really impacted the entire world very like greatly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, and then then we have to you know be with ourselves and and look inside and do the inner work and whatever spiritual practice that you do have just to, to sustain that and, you know, use that to, you know, in your own like work, you know, put that out, out there and how to heal because we're, we're going to have, we, we're all healing from this like trauma of racism um, mm-hmm. and oppression, you know, it's, it's all coming to, to it's really been brought out for, the pandemic has that positive thing that it brought out a lot of these things that people had hidden for so long. Mm-hmm. We're good at hiding. We're very good at hiding all the stuff that bothers us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. We can hide it in consumption, mass con- consumption of food, of alcohol, of all these things that distract us. But then at the end of the day, it is, we are 
we are with ourselves. And that's the stuff, that's what we have, you know, that's the inner work that we have to do. And it's traumatizing and triggering and we're not alone. Thank mm-hmm. God we have, we have people, we have other people going through the same thing. Yeah. We're definitely, we're definitely not alone on the healing. And on that note, where, where can people find you? Um, so I'm on Instagram, uh, Gina Bobina 77. Um, I'm also on Facebook, uh, Gina Bobina. Um, and I guess there's an option to follow me or I don't know if I would add you as a friend, but I think there's an option, option to follow me there. I have to figure it out. Um, but yeah, I, and I'm also on Twitter, but, <laughs> but my, I have to change my name back to something a little more serious. Um, cause I, I, yeah, I decided to, I was watching a lot of, uh, a, a, a really cheesy crime TV show, and I decided to be one of the characters. And, oh, <laughs> fun! Like, but yeah, it's like it's like I'm a, I'm a Russian spy, but I have to change that because um, I was making fun of the whole like Russian Russian government controversy. Um, but yeah, I'm, sometimes I'm I'm not as serious in my activism as like on my social media. Mm-hmm. Um, when I do social media, it's more like pictures, and sometimes I'll have like some activism stuff and like some some quotes, some articles um, that, and people always like seem to like my feed. So I'm like, okay, well I I may, I may be like on my soapbox, like why is, you know, just trying to figure out what solutions are to like different problems, like, you know, housing and, you know, you know, social justice and, and and like Mm anti-racism. So I'm just trying to, you know, share that out and put that out there for people to educate themselves because I really can't control or make people like unpack and, and, and become aware of, you know, internalized racism or sexism or homophobia and all these other isms that are, you know, that basically plague our lives and make us think we're better than everybody else. And that's just also a false narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. White, what, what, what white supremacy does and, why like people of color always like, you know, there's colorism people like, Oh, the lighter you are, the more power you have, the more privilege you have. That has been like the narrative that we've been given mm-hmm. uh, all our lives. So cool. we need to combat that. We have to do the inner work, learn how to be anti-racist. You know, it takes a lot. It does take a lot. It's, it's exhausting. I think about it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, how can I, how how can I use pri- my privilege to, you know, amplify these voices and people's experiences, and you know, not because like I want to save and rescue people, because probably, but knowing <laughs> <laughs> myself, yeah. Uh, yeah, and people could find me on Instagram at Poras Podcast, P O R A S S P O D. C A S T Porus Podcast or at V Porus V E E P O R R A S. If you like this episode and more episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Leave a rating. And I'm currently on the job, back on the job market. And so if, um, want to support the podcast, you could Venmo me at vcomic0122. That's V-E-E-C-O-M-I-C-0122. You could Venmo me, follow me on Instagram, and uh, check out 
my website, vcomedy.com. That's V-E-E-C-O-M-E-D-Y. And thank you, everyone, for coming to um, the podcast and hearing about activism on the budget with my guest and friend, Gina Rivera. And um, bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Veronica. Carrying sweet rain, trying to get where I was surprised at that.